Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 145. Shalom to you. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. I have the privilege to have a sit-down, face-to-face conversation about biblical and American jurisprudence with California attorney Ivor Bai. Attorney Bai has specialized in courtroom criminal law since graduating law school in the late 1970s. If perhaps you find an interest in learning about divine law and how it relates to biblical and common law, then stay with us for the next hour. Attorney Ivor Bai grew up in Spokane, Washington, and he has a law practice in Victorville, which is located in the high desert of Southern California in the USA. is my conversation with attorney Ivor Bai. You are an attorney, uh, a lawyer. You've been doing this for a long, long time. And uh, you kind of know the, the, you know, the, the courtroom protocol, right? Right. You know how judges think? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know how the prosecuting attorneys think? Yes. You know how the defense, how they, uh, how they generally are thinking? Yes. You know how witnesses uh, function, how they operate. Uh, the courtroom protocol is interesting because uh, it is the way, or I should say maybe it's a picture of the biblical protocol of how the great judge of heaven operates. We're going to talk about some of these things. And I want to talk a little bit about how you see the gospel narratives and how they unfold from a Torah biblical viewpoint in the face of the great judge, because he this is a, a legal thing. The, I mean, Torah is legal. I didn't say it's legalized. I said it's legal. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you see things. And then we'll talk a little bit about your life and kind of how you got here. But just tell me a little bit about this Torah legal stuff and how it fits into kind of a little bit about what you've done through your whole life. Well, I learned early on that the Bible is a legal book mm -hmm. because it has all sorts of legal terms like heirs, uh, you know, propitiation, punishment, there's laws. Uh, there's commandments, things like that, that if there is a violation of human law, then the person is arrested and goes into court and has a trial or something. But <clears throat> the same thing with uh, the Bible, because it is a legal book. Mm. And sometimes we don't even look at it that way. But more and more, I like to view the Bible as my owner's handbook. Hmm. Hmm. The handbook, because every new car gets a handbook from the manufacturer, this is how you take care of it. Hmm. And I say that's the same way it is with the Bible. God has given us the Bible as an owner's handbook. This is how you live. This is how you take care of yourself, etc. 
are we free to disregard those? Hmm. We we don't have the right to, but we have the power to disobey. So wait, 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 wait. So we don't have the right to disregard the laws, but we have the power to disregard them. Correct. Okay, explain just Okay. Me. We have certain rights. The law says, for example, thou shalt not speed. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have the right to go up to the speed limit. But if we exceed the speed limit, then we have violated that right. Mm. And so we have the right to do something, but we have the power to exceed it or disregard it. Oh, okay. 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 okay? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a pretty important distinction. That's a power of choice then, really. The power of choice. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And um, with, you know, like with God's word. Okay, they are really instructions mm -hmm. on living. I, I've come to the conclusion that uh, Hasatan won a major, major victory when he tricked the rabbis when they were translating the Septuagint mm. from Hebrew into Greek. Mm. He tricked them into you taking the word Torah and putting it in the Greek word nomos. But that is the Greek word for law, though. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But Torah doesn't mean law. No, it really doesn't. It, it means teaching and instruction. Right. And we, we know that mm -hmm. because all you have to do is look into a uh, mm -hmm. any concordance, and it says that. Now, with Strong's Concordance, you look it up, and it does say Torah, law, and this is, comes from another mm -hmm. word, mm -hmm. and it says Torah, law. This comes from another word. Then you go there, and it's teaching, instruction, it's like an archer uh, trying to hit a target, and there is nothing that even hints at law in the foundational word, the root word. Hmm. Well, I mainly specialize in criminal law, hmm. and that is one thing that I have learned in law school and in uh, the practice of law, that there's hmm. research. Lawyers love definitions, period. We need to define things. And mm -hmm. when my client is charged with a certain crime like robbery, mm -hmm. I go to California Penal Code Section 211 mm -hmm. that defines robbery mm -hmm. because I need to go through and analyze it to see if, in fact, my client did what the statute said that violates the statute. I see. I okay? see. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. Obviously, after 44 years, I don't have to do, do well, that. When you, well, wait, wait, when you say 44 years, so you've been practicing this this whole thing since law school for, since it uh, looks like... Uh, well, 79. Yeah, since uh, the, so the late 70s. Yeah. <laughs> you've been practicing this stuff in the courtroom. You've done courtroom protocol. You know this stuff. So, okay, so go ahead back with these definitions then. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, because definitions are very important mm -hmm. and... Generally, well, I would say always among the first chapters of every California code, there are definitions hmm. in this code. This means and then they start listing them. Hmm. For example, may means permissive shall means obligatory. 
Okay. The, the way, uh, okay, repeat that again. Uh, let me just get that. Let me get my head around that one. Right. Okay. May. may like may permitted. something. May something. You may do this. You may not do that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And that that is permissive. Mm -hmm. But in English grammar, mm -hmm. if it's third person singular or plural, and it's shall, shall is mandatory, and the law. Uh, all the codes use the word shall oh, unless wow. there is something with may <clears throat> because a, a person may do this, but they're not obligated to. They, but if they shall do it, they are obligated to. Is there a difference between shall and will do this? Well, and or I, is that or is that a gray area? Which is no. Well, let me put it this way. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. In English grammar, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure about Hebrew grammar, mm -hmm. but in he in English grammar, when it's first person, that's why I said third person, second or third person, uh, singular or plural, it says shall, that's mandatory. That's you is second person. Correct. They is third person plural. Uh, him is uh, is second person uh, singular. Okay. Th third yeah, person. Third person singular, singular. Yeah. right. Now, when it comes to first person, <laughs> me, I, we, yeah. mm -hmm. in English, English grammar, when it says, I, I shall do this, mm -hmm. it is not mandatory. Oh, it's not. It's not. But when you say, I will, that shows intensity of purpose. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. Okay. Okay. The, uh, the wife says, Iver. And will you do this? Okay, yeah, I shall do it. And I do talk like this, okay? I, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. tell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and after the fourth or fifth time, she said, I respond, I said, I will do it. <laughs> will is intensity. Yeah. It's intent of purpose. Mm. And so, so it, it's sort of easy. Second and third person, shall is mandatory but permissive in, or just simple future with the first person and it's backwards. So it's mm. I will shows intensity mm. of mm. purpose. Mm. So you see this, um, you see this in how the definitions play out yeah. in your legal practice. Then every word has a meaning. It has a purpose. It has a definition. And, uh, and that's what, your legal profession relies on, would you yes. say? Oh, yeah, very much so. The interesting thing is, though, the same thing applies to the Bible. Hmm. I mean, Yeshua says, man shall not live by bread alone or bread only, but by every word hmm. that proceedeth out of the mouth of Yahweh. Hmm. Isn't that what he says? Yeah, yeah. Every word. Yeah. You read, every word is inspired uh, in the Tanakh, because obviously that was the cultural context of what Yeshua was referring to, because it is written, there was no New Testament at that time. Correct. And so he's mm. only referring to what we call the Torah or the Tanakh. Mm. Okay. Mm. But man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Okay. Okay. Words mean things. And a lot of times we... We just get hung up on things or we ignore, we ignore the little words. Mm. We ignore mm. the little words. Looking at it this way for Passover, traditional Judaism takes 
three commandments and makes them into one. And that is, they call that Passover. Mm -hmm. However, since words mean things in, uh, you know, Exodus 12, we are told that on the 14th, uh, you will have Passover. You'll, you'll, well, Passover meaning to, as I understand it, at least to slaughter the Passover, to eat it. It does say it has to be at night, Lila, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean on the 15th. It means on the 14th. Then on the, the other commandment is the festival of matzah. Okay. Okay. And what does that say? When does that begin? The festival of matzah begins on the 15th. Yep. Up until the 21st. Right. Okay. But then we've got a third one that everybody misses. There is the commandment, thou shalt eat matzah for seven days, beginning on the 14th. That's right. Well, that, well, that's because the... Uh, that's because it says that you're supposed to eat it with the lamb. Correct. But it starts on the 14th. Mm. Now, I remember very clearly, I my Bible, my King James Bible, I got for Christmas 1962. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was my it was my first adult Bible. I was 15 years of age. I mean, it had this thing called a concordance. It had red letters in it. I mean, this is an adult Bible. And mm -hmm. I was excited. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I lived up in Spokane, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. went down, went downstairs and I started reading. And I did what I do with every other book. I start at the beginning. Churches always say, okay, now that you're saved, start with the Gospel of John. Oh, wow. And I use the analogy uh -huh. with people. I say, look, you cannot, and I've been saying this for over 50 years, you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old. Because, and a friend of mine, I explained this analogy. Look, when you were in the first grade and you started learning your numbers, Right? He said, yeah. You learn what one plus one is, one plus two is three, etc., etc. You don't start in the first grade and say, okay, kids, we're going to teach you calculus. <laughs> right? That would be kind of that would be kind of over the top to start there, yeah. Well well exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that is what the church does mm -hmm. when they say, Go to John. Oh wow. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. Because the analogy is in well the first Six, seven, or eight years of school, you are learning your numbers. You learn, first of all, what the numbers are. Mm. Then you learn your addition. Then you learn your subtraction. Mm -hmm. Then you learn your multiplication. Mm -hmm. Then you learn your division. Mm -hmm. And then you learn, oh, fractions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and those are constantly, at least in my generation, mm. constantly repeated. Hmm. And then it's not until the ninth grade we are introduced to algebra hmm. and then plain geometry. Hmm. But if you don't have the first eight years of understanding your numbers, your arithmetic, hmm. you're not going to have any clue what to do in algebra or plain geometry. So this says to go back to the Hebrew scripture, the Tanakh, and go become familiar at least as much as you can much with better. with the culture the understanding the practice all of the stuff that's going on there correct you are learning it but again words mean things 
In law school, we had uh, a class on document interpretation. There are rules of interpretation ah. for documents. Now, I didn't say sacred documents, mm -hmm. documents. Now, documents include sacred documents, mm. but they also include uh, secular documents. And there are rules. And the number one rule is you take the meaning of the words at face value unless, unless it clearly means something different. Okay? For example, let me use the word dawn in English. D-A-W-N. Hmm. When we hear the word dawn, don't we automatically, in our mind's eye, see the sun rising up and that's the dawn? Um, I, I mean, some people might think that, but uh, I think that would be more sunrise. Well, yeah. but, but it's the dawn of the day, right? <clears throat> okay. All okay, right, it's, all right. the, it's the dawn. Mm -hmm. But we also use it in a different way. When Orville and Wilbur Wright did their work at Kitty Hawk, mm -hmm. it was the dawn of aviation. Right, that's not a specific day. It's, Correct. It's, it's, a, it's an epoch of time, maybe. Exactly. Hmm. And so, but it really means the beginning, hmm. the significant beginning. Hmm. Okay? Hmm. Hmm. Like when Yuri Gagarin went up uh, into uh, the space uh -huh. for the first time. The, the Russian the cosmonaut. Russian, the Russian cosmonaut. That was the dawn of space travel. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, but, hmm. and so literally the dawn, whether it's the dawn of... Uh, the Industrial Revolution, the dawn of, uh, you know, aviation, we use it as the beginning. And it can be pitch black midnight, but it's the dawn because it's the beginning. Mm, mm, okay? Mm, mm. Now, I, that's the way we talk in English. Mm. So much of what we talk in English is with idioms. Okay? Now, we don't really even think or realize we're talking idiomatically because we know the language, okay? Like, um, we, we use words like, boy, eat your heart out. That came out from left field. <laughs> Where did that come from? You know, I mean, isn't that right? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, uh -huh. but those idioms cannot be literally translated because they don't make any sense. To a foreigner coming over, eat your heart out. Are these Americans cannibals? <laughs> I, I mean... Oh, nobody would actually think that, would they, if they heard well, it? Well, I wouldn't think so. Uh -huh. But how about let's steam off? Uh -huh. How about bought the farm? I bought the farm. Uh -huh. What does the phrase bought the farm mean? He bought the farm. It means he bought the farm. Well, I mean, idiomatically, there's uh, there's another expression there. Yeah. yeah but what what is what do we mean? Okay, so tell us. Yeah. 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 He died. Uh, he bought the farm. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, okay he okay. bought the farm. Yeah, yeah. And in the context, if I said that in context, you would understand exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. Where did that come from? <clears throat> mm -hmm. It came from World War One, because when a soldier went to war and he was killed in the line of duty, the government would give the family $10,000, uh, you know, as a life insurance, and that, with that money, he could, they could buy a farm to subsist on. And that's where that expression came from, because that's what the cost of a farm was back then. He oh, interesting. So, oh, oh, I see. So a compensation to the family for the soldier that died. Correct. 
Uh, but it was mm-hmm. the, it was tied to the farm, but it wasn't required that they buy a farm. Mm-hmm. But that was the cost <clears throat> of a farm. Mm. I mean, you figure back in in World War II, we were an agrarian society in this country, mm-hmm. and I think most countries were still agri- agrarian. Mm-hmm. You know, they everybody lived on a farm or they lived out in the country. But another one, how about? Oh, he's just letting off steam. Mm-hmm. Well, we know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, where did that come from? It came from the paddle wheel days mm. when they were, uh, you know, they had the uh, boiler and the steam mm. that would um, move the uh, the paddle wheel. But what they had to do, they kept an eye on that boiler because if it started to get too high, they had to pull a lever and let off some steam. Otherwise, what's going to happen is going to blow up. Right, right. Now, isn't that basically what we see? Oh, he's just letting off steam. He's under a lot of pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. we say he's under a lot of pressure, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. See, we, we, don't, we don't think a lot about these kinds of ideas, but they are, uh, I, I'm uh, assuming they are uh, woven into the biblical texts all over the place. Oh, yes. Little, little things like this. <clears throat> In the same way, and if I may, because yeah. I want to come back to this idea here of the de- word definitions, um, uh, these things are woven into the biblical texts so that we can better understand them, right? Let me take this in back to to your practice in the courtroom. Um, is it is it common for the uh, for the defense or for the witnesses that have been called up to testify or whatever to speak idiomatically and or to twist? words into meaning certain things to deflect guilt or or to promote innocence do you do you follow my questioning yes i do Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. answer is yes because people do all of those things and the job of an attorney or a lawyer who's doing examination and cross examination um your job is to have more clarity there i have heard and read that 40 percent of the new testament is Hebrew idiom. Okay. 40%. Okay. 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 Well, we Westerners who don't have a clue about the Middle Eastern um, culture, Mm -hmm. we just take some things literally like, uh, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through, you know, the 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 meeting. We're like, what? What? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But there are explanations, but that's an idiomatic phrase. When we are selecting a jury, Mm -hmm. we make it very clear that, and I always make it clear uh, to the jury, we do not usually like lawyers on the jury. And the reason is we need people on the jury that think like normal people. <laughs> no, normal. Attorneys do not think like normal people. They, wait, wait, wait. If you, if you have attorneys listening to this, they're probably thinking, oh, hey, wait a minute here. I take offense to that. <laughs> well, if they do, I don't, I don't think they would because uh-huh, I think uh-huh. they would acknowledge it. Uh-huh. We don't think like normal people. Okay. Example, we're walking down the sidewalk and we see one part has raised and the normal person say, whoop, boy, I'd better be careful of that. A lawyer said, man, there's a lawsuit. <laughs> you know, I better sit here and just wait and see for somebody to fall. There's down. a lawsuit. There's a lawsuit in waiting over that one. Exactly. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and we and that's just the way it is. Some of the worst people to talk to are first year law students <laughs> because a little knowledge is dangerous. Okay? I think that's true of the Bible too. Oh, a yeah. little knowledge in the Bible is no, no, let's put it a little knowledge of Hebrew is dangerous. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it really is. Uh -huh. This is Avi Ben Mordechai. Recently, I was privileged to have a face-to-face -face conversation with Ivor Bai, a criminal law attorney of Southern California in the USA. Ivor is speaking with us about biblical and American jurisprudence. We'll return for the second half of our conversation in just a moment. Stay with us. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 145. This is Avi Ben Mordechai. Recently, I was privileged to have a face-to-face -face conversation with Ivor Bai, a criminal law attorney of Southern California in the USA. Ivor is speaking with us about biblical and American jurisprudence. Some of the worst people to talk to are first-year law students <laughs> because a little knowledge is dangerous. A little knowledge of Hebrew is dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really is. Uh -huh. We then have to trust mm. the uh, mm -hmm. the concordance. Mm -hmm. We have to understand possibly the bias mm -hmm. of the man who did that. Like mm -hmm. uh, Strong was mm -hmm. a strong Christian. Doctor Strong was a strong Christian. Mm -hmm. He's going to define the words according to I believe traditional Christian understanding. You know, a friend of mine once uh, stopped by our church and he asked the pastor. He said. Why are there so many different denominations? And the pastor sort of deflected and said, well, there really isn't any explanation. Just love Jesus. And he asked me that question. He said, why are there so many denominations? I said, well, that's simple, because everybody has a different set of rules on how to interpret the Bible. <laughs> okay. And see, in the law, mm -hmm. we have one set of interpretation laws mm -hmm. and throughout the country. Basically, it's, the words may be a little different, but it's basically the same. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the witnesses in court, I do not always assume out of the box that the witness for the defense or the prosecution is going to lie. I don't expect that. But the purpose of a of cross-examination is to determine not just the truth of what the witness saw, but is he accurate? Because a person can be wrong, but sincerely wrong. He's not lying. Hmm. Okay. In Luke 10, it says, and the lawyer tempted uh, Yeshua. The, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And the <clears throat> Sunday school teacher asked a question, was the lawyer sincere? And of course, I said, yes. He said, no, because of the word tempt. 
I said, mm -hmm. no, you can't do that. Because I did something that the teacher didn't do. I looked it up in the, in the concordance. Mm -hmm. And what the word tempt, it's an old English term, but it meant to uh, examine closely, concisely, diligently. You are scrutinizing what the witness is saying. So when the lawyer who was fluent in in the Torah. In Hebrew, in Aramaic. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so he was asking Yeshua because I'm thinking, okay, he said, a lot of people are saying this Yeshua is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to see how well versed he is in the Torah. Mm. Okay. And again, a lawyer so, never asks a question on cross-examination that he doesn't already know the answer to. Well, wait a now you're talking rhetorical stuff here. You're, well, you're saying if he, if he asks the question, but he already knows the answer to that, mm -hmm. so he's going to formulate things to bring it to his own... How, how is that going to work? Well, we ask, we ask the question because we already know the answer because we want to see if the lawyer understands the same thing. Here we have the lawyer in 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 the biblical narrative in, in Luke ten. Yeah, yeah. You know he no. Don't you don't you think that this lawyer would know what he's asking? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. How can I inherit eternal life? Hmm. And Yeshua turned it around. He said, "Well, what does the Torah say? Oh, wow. How yeah. do you read it?" Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean. Right off the bat, what does that say? Hmm. Eternal life we learn about in the Torah, hmm. right? Hmm. And what did the uh, the lawyer answer? He answered with basically the start of the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbors yourself, mm -hmm. which is 1918. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Hmm. Now do this and live. And I could just see this lawyer doing some thinking. Well, because lawyers are always looking for loopholes. <laughs> Wait a minute, that, that's coming. That's, that's a little funny coming from a from a lawyer. <laughs> but that's what we do. Okay. But loopholes, loopholes are not necessarily bad. They're not lies per se. Uh huh. But they may be legitimate. But I could under I I could see on the face of this lawyer. Mm -hmm. Well, do I really love my neighbors myself? And then that's what prompted his question to Yeshua. Well, who's my neighbor? And then we have the Good Samaritan. And Yeshua tells that story. And then he asked the lawyer, well, who was his neighbor? Hmm. Well, it was the one that helped him. The Samaritan, a half-breed, if you will. They were hated the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Hmm. And who hmm. who went by? You know, there was a priest and a Levite and then this Samaritan. Hmm. Hmm. And it was the Samaritan that offered help. Hmm. And the Samaritan was the good neighbor. And so Yeshua made a very important point there. Hmm. Anybody you see that needs help is your neighbor. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, again, getting back to the witness on the stand. Okay, okay. Because this is what we are, according to the Old English, tempting the witness. We are scrutinizing him mm -hmm. to make sure that his story is logical, that he had the ability 
to see what he said he saw. Hmm. And let me just give an example. Hmm. Say there's a an, well a, a robbery that takes place at around 10 o'clock at night, and there's a woman that just has pulled up into the uh, into the parking lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, this guy, she sees something going on in there. Guy's got a gun. He's pulling. He's pointing it, and he takes the money and he runs. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Yeah, I got a good look at it." Mm. Okay. Well, first of all, it was night, mm. and a lot of times it's really hard to see at night. Now, does she wear glasses? You know, is she required to wear glasses? Mm. If yes, did you have them on that night? Well, mm-hmm. no. Okay, that could be a doubt as to her accuracy. Not saying she's lying, Hmm. but it's a doubt. And just different things like that. How much sleep had you gotten? Were you tired? Hmm. Uh, You know, what is your eyesight like again? Did you actually get a good look at the face of the person? Uh, Was he wearing a mask? Well, yeah. Hmm. Okay, then how do you know it's his person? And then she said, well, he was wearing short sleeves and he had this tattoo on his arm. And that was uh, that's the same one the defendant has. Mm-hmm. So that's how I identified it. Mm. OK, that's valid. That's a valid way to identify people that ha- get tattoos and they're criminals are mm. stupid. I mean, because (laughs) they get identified by their tattoos. They should just tattoo their name on their forehead. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Just a moment. This is interesting. Okay, so when people put tattoos on themselves, they're putting identifications on them. So if they should do something... That is uh, that is questionable according to law, and they are uh, pulled aside for interrogation or something. You can identify them. They can't. That's right. right. You know? That's right. So they're saying, Don't, "Why? Why would you do that?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, every police report, uh-huh, every uh-huh. police report yeah, that I've yeah. seen in the last forty-four years, yeah. has on the face page of the police report hmm. any identifying marks, tattoos, scars, etc. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, because yeah. that's important. Huh. That's important. And so when but when people on the witness stand, they will speak idiomatically. Hmm. And that, and but everybody knows what they mean, hmm. uh, you know. So it's not a big deal, and but if they are trying to be a little shifty, hmm. and you know, because I, I always instruct the jury or question them, you've got to watch the way the uh, witness testifies. Not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it? How they're, it, it. And that's in the jury instruction. It's their demeanor while testifying. Ah. If, ah. if they are answering your question, they're looking you right in the eye and they're saying, this is the way it is, doom, doom, doom. Okay. Or if you ask a question, well, are you sure? And they look down and wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm real sure. And then they, you know, it's like, that's part of the demeanor. Hmm, hmm, and hmm. because when a lot of people lie, they cannot look the other person in the eye. When a person lies, they look up and to the left, I think. Uh, some, some people have said some, there are some identifying ways right. of looking at things. Yeah. 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 But when people are trying to remember, they look up to the right. Hmm. 
now, or mm. it may be the opposite way. I mean, we all do this. When mm. you are mm. asked mm. to remember something, mm. you, you always turn your mm. eyes mm. because you're, you're trying to get the mind to remember something. Mm. And so, uh, so this is the whole purpose of, of um, cross-examination. It's just to prove the truth and the accuracy of the identification, the accuracy, because some people, you know, they say, well, I, uh, yeah, I, I saw him do this. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, a good defense attorney always goes out uh, to see where they were, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and from where they saw it, they said they saw it, they couldn't have seen him. Hmm. They couldn't have seen him because there was something in the way or, or whatever. I mean, it's stuff like that, though, that that can get somebody, uh, you know, get to get a court case dismissed. It's exactly things like that. You know? Because and, and mm -hmm. the legal mm -hmm. phrase you're looking at is that they things like that are enough to raise a reasonable doubt because in this country, a person is uh, presumed to be innocent unless the jury finds him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, right. And so all the defense attorney has to do is raise a reasonable doubt. And so if here is the reasonable doubt mm -hmm. and beyond a reasonable doubt is up here. You have to raise it. Yeah. Then uh, you just then the jury. It's very clear. Well, let me use the example that I use with the uh, with juries. Okay. I say, picture a football field. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's at least seen a football field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The presumption of innocence does not mean that the defendant and the DA start at the same place. The DA is the district attorney. District attorney, deputy okay. district attorney. Uh huh. So the defendant. For example, we'll start on the 20-yard line. Uh -huh. The D DDA, Deputy District Attorney, is back off the field. Okay. And it's up to the District Attorney to carry the ball of proof of his guilt, not only catch the defendant, but surpass him, cross the 50-yard line, <laughs> go to the 40, the okay. 30, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and then it's like... He does not have to score a touchdown, hmm. but he has to be close enough that you, ladies and gentlemen, believe that he has proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Sure. It's not beyond all possible doubt, uh -huh. like in Perry Mason, the old yeah. Perry Mason yeah, yeah, series, yeah, yeah. Uh. but it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh. And it is up to you, ladies and gentlemen, to determine which yard line is the reasonable doubt. I see. If it's I beyond see. that. I mean, if they feel like it's up to the five-yard line, that's clearly. Hmm. But they could think, okay, the 30-yard line. From there on, uh, that's enough. We think he's guilty. Okay, so I, I want to I take this now, everything you're saying here, I want to take this and bring it into a biblical paradigm. Okay. Because there are people, you know, when Yah gives our, us our day in court— Mm -hmm. And we're all going to get, I think, in my, in my scripture reading, we're all going to get our day in court. Yeah, I, I believe You so. know, at least uh, in the court of heaven or the court down below. We're, we're going to court at some point, okay? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the great judge is, as far as I know, he, he's, he's not, 
you know, he, he's very familiar with all of our justification tactics. Sure. I mean, uh, and he's not going to twist words. His words are, they have, they have meaning. They have definition. Mm-hmm. That's in the Torah, right? Right. And he, we're not going to get away with anything. He's, he's going to question us and say, you know, what, okay, what's your story, you know? Mm-hmm. And I suppose we would have an opportunity to, you know, we'll twist things, we'll manufacture things, or there's a lot of things we could do, but even in everyday life, the Spirit convicts us Mm -hmm. and says, why did you do that? What what are you doing? What what are you saying? What's going on? What's the story here? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that what self-justification is all about? I suppose is what I want to ask you yeah. in this context. Yes, it, it is because no one likes to admit they were wrong. Okay. No one likes to admit they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. is there is only one that I can see, only one all-encompassing definition of sin in the whole Bible, mm-hmm. Genesis through Revelation, mm-hmm. and that is 1 John 3, 4b. Mm -hmm. where it says sin is transgression of the law. Mm. Okay. The Greek words are hamarta anomia, Mm. which, and then even Strong's and other commentaries say the law is the Jewish law. It's a violation of the Torah. Mm. So sin is violation of the Torah. Hmm. If it doesn't violate the Torah, it is not sin. Hmm. If it does violate the Torah, it is sin. And Torah is the divine instruction of heaven from the Creator. Correct. And He has set the bar as to what things are or are not. He's defined it. Right. So breaking that or loosing, loosing those definitions... If we're doing that, mm-hmm. we are in sin. Yes. I, I told you when the um, when Hasatan, I believe, tricked the rabbis into having the Torah called Nomos. Okay, let's go it back to It gave you. the church a huge, huge weapon. Hmm. Explain. Legalism. Oh, I see. Yeah. Legalism. Uh, you mean that's what that's what was born out of that? Yes. Yes, because Mm -hmm. um, if they, you know, if they had done what they did with the word Abba, Mm -hmm. because they couldn't come up with a an appropriate word in English that conveyed the thought that Abba did, Mm -hmm. if they had done, and so they left, Mm -hmm. and you know, and just made it very clear, the Torah is the teaching and the instruction of the Lord. Now, Mm -hmm. are there commandments? Torah is just teaching. Mm-hmm. Now, if when you are teaching your children your Torah, mm-hmm. I mean, it can be when my dad taught me how to change a flat tire, mm-hmm. he was teaching me, he was teaching Torah. Me Torah. That was Torah. Yeah, yeah. When, when a woman teaches her daughter how to make oatmeal cookies, <laughs> it's Torah. Right. But it's teaching and instruction. But as part of that teaching and instruction, it says, they, did your parents ever say that? Don't touch that. That's hot. Mm. You'll get hurt. Mm. Don't run across the street. Mm. It's dangerous. Mm. Now, those are commandments, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, were your parents being mean about that? 
or were they trying to protect you? They didn't want you to get hurt. They didn't want you to touch a hot stove. Mm. And so they had to be forceful. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like, because some little kids, that's about the only thing they understand at times. <laughs> and my, my mom, mm -hmm. uh, when I got the spankings, mm -hmm. my mother always gave me a warning or two before. Mm. And then she would spank me. And well, first of all, she'd start wagging her finger in my face and saying, son, I told you not to do this, da-da-da-da-da. Mm. And then she turned me over her lap <laughs> and spanked me. Mm. And then she put me back down and continued the lecture, wagging her finger mm -hmm. in my face. By the way, you can't do that today, though. No. Yeah, well. Uh, today, today, that's a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. But, you know, uh -huh. when she, while she was wagging her finger the second time, uh-huh. You know what I did? Huh. I'm crying my little heart out. Oh. I raise my hands up to her, uh -huh. and she picks me up. Oh, wow. And she holds me. She uh -huh. says, son, I love you. Wow. But if you do it again, I'll spank you again. Wow. Uh, because she loved me. I knew she didn't hate me. Hmm. She hmm. loved me. Wow. wow. And I mean, but see, that should be the same reaction hmm. when hmm. God has sort of spanked us mm, for mm. disobeying him, mm. that we should raise our hands up to him, say, Father, forgive me, hold me. Mm, mm, and mm. there are times when I'm sitting here in my office, I, I just say, Father, I just want to sit on your lap. Mm, mm. I just want to sit on your lap. Wow. And, you know, and I, I sense his presence mm. because he is loving. Mm. He is loving. Mm. And you had mentioned something right at the beginning that I believe mm. is the single mm. most mm. comforting truth about God in the entire Bible. Mm. Malachi 3, 6. Mm. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Mm. Mm. Why is that the most comforting? Mm. Because he's not going to change. Mm. And he's not going to be like the... Greek and Roman gods that love to have fun with the people, with the humans, and they lie to them and everything. Our God is not that way hmm. because he is the God. Hmm. And regardless of what happens, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Now, of course, that goes right along with Hebrews 13, 8. Hmm. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hmm. And then I say, like I asked you, what is the scariest verse, hmm. the scariest truth about God in the whole Bible? Hmm. Malachi 3, 6. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. I told you what I would do if you disobeyed. Hmm. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So, of course, there we want him to change. <laughs> but, yeah. see, that is, the, that is the comforting truth. He is a loving God, um, and... He only wants the best for his children. I mean, there, there's a saying that when a, a father and son look at each other, each sees the hope of himself. And that's the way I felt with my dad. As I'm growing up, I watch dad and I say, man, when I grow up, I want to be like dad. Hmm. And I know, because he told me, when he looks at me, he says, boy, I hope he doesn't make the same mistakes I did. Hmm. Because a loving father wants the children to be better than they are, to do, to be more successful, successful. And this is what 
our Father wants us to be. He wants, and he's saying, this is the way. This is the way. You know, uh, when I was in law school, I had a roommate that was going to a um, theological seminary. And he was, he came home talking to me about what the teacher had told that day about mm -hmm. uh, being in the will of God. He said that here's the will of God and outside the will of God, it is raining pitchforks. Now, God is not throwing the pitchforks. Mm. That's just out there. And he said, so when you step off and get hit with a pitchfork, it's not because God is throwing it at you. It is he knows what's outside his perfect will. Mm. Just trouble. One time I was sitting in church because I'm attending a Baptist church mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in Victorville. And mm -hmm. the uh, the preacher was saying something, and all of a sudden, I wrote down, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, that's the way lawyers think. Hmm. Why in that order? Hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The followers of Jesus were called the way. If you want to be like Yeshua, mm -hmm. then you got to start out on the same path that he's walking in. Mm -hmm. Because if you are obeying everything else, you are saying, well, Torah doesn't apply to me because I'm a Gentile. Mm -hmm. Then you're not walking in his way. You you cannot be like Jesus mm. because his code of conduct was Torah. I've been speaking with Southern California attorney Ivor Bai about biblical Torah teaching and American jurisprudence. Attorney Ivor Bai has specialized in courtroom criminal law since graduating law school in the late 1970s. And still, after some 45 years, he has a thriving law practice in Victorville in the USA. If perhaps you find an interest in learning about divine wisdom and how it applies to us today, then stay with us for the second part of our conversation next time. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio.